0: Bow with me for a moment as we pray. We do look forward to that glorious day. And we thank you for what you did on a day in space and time that made all of that possible. And we thank you for this day A day in which you continue to speak. To love, to care, to provide, to lead, to change. We ask that you would do that now. Through the work of your hands. Through the truth of your words. Through the time that we will spend in your presence. Through the love of your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the past three weeks, we've grappled with the the reality of serving God and money and faced the fact that we must choose one or the other. You can't do both, as Jesus so clearly said. And so we've sought to insert ourselves into the birth story of Jesus. And we've opened our hearts to the possibility of deeper, fuller worship. We've begun to wrestle with the tensions of good questions, like we asked last week. How much is too much? Who determines what you need? We're so blessed. What do we really need? And and where's the line between simplicity and contentment and excess? And we're asking these questions because Christmas is about turning love into a human not a thing. And that's what God did. How did He do that? He did that by spending less and by giving more. And I referred to two passages last week that I want to return to again this week. John chapter 1. He spent much. Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on to say that everything that was made, nothing was made that wasn't made through Him. He spent beyond your wildest imaginations to create the expanse of this universe, the beauty of this world, the intricacies of who we are as individuals made in His image. He spent a great deal. But through that, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 we can only know two things about God after all that spending. We can only know that He is eternal in His power and He is divine in His nature. That's what Romans 1 says. He spent a lot. Then, that same chapter tells us He gave us so much more. That word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw the glory of God as of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that that then once He became Jesus He was for us the radiance of God's glory the exact representation of His being by just becoming one of us just becoming one of us but He he spent less and yet gave us so much more Philippians 2 tells us the same thing. He gave up equality with God, all that he had. He could have, through all of his eternal power, judged us, screamed at us, communicated his will to us. Instead, he set all of that aside and took on the nature of a servant, being found in human likeness. And in that, we understood truly who God is. And so last week, we emphasized what it meant to spend less. This week, we take this further to give more. He spent less, but he gave more. Last week, we talked about what it might mean to spend less. This year, we want to consider giving more. Isn't that a contradiction? Aren't I trying to tell you to spend less, to do less? The invitation to push back against the religion of consumerism has, has resonated with us deeply. We, we grow weary of the holiday ads and the campaigns and the decorations that come out earlier every year, right? used to just be ahead of Thanksgiving. Now it's ahead of Halloween. Don't you tire of that? We've grown weary of watching our kids struggle to find the connection between Christmas in all of its trappings and, and the true birth of Christ. We've grown weary of reaching the end of another Christmas only to be filled with piles of stuff we don't really need. So this invitation to push back and to enter into the story and spend less and spend what we do spend intentionally has resonated with us. It feels right. But why would I then ask you to give more? Because Christmas is about God giving Himself away to the people that He loves. So we ought to do the same. Christmas is about turning giving into something meaningful through relationship. Christmas is about turning giving into something meaningful through relationship. I mean, God gives, doesn't He? But what He gives is Himself. He incarnates love. He personalizes relationship. In four words, through his hands, through his words, through his time, through his heart. See, I think we can all agree that there is something special, something deeply moving about certain kinds of gifts. Don't you think? Think about the most memorable gift you ever received. Why do you still remember it? You're probably not thinking about a new car sitting in a snowy driveway with a big red bow on the top. You probably aren't remembering a diamond bracelet or a new golf club. Oh, some of you might be. Hmm. For most of us, though, this special gift we best remember was a different kind of gift, wasn't it? It was a special meal that you spent with someone, or or a special day that they gave to you uninterrupted. It was something something someone wrote specifically for you. It was a trip you took with someone that you really cared for. It was a handmade treasure. It was a work of someone's hands, maybe. Is that possible? I bought a few of these gifts here this morning. The most beautiful you see right away this is a table, it's handmade. I have news for you. I didn't do it. My brother made this table for my mother. Beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous. In fact, when I told my wife I was going to use it as an illustration, and she was going to help me get it over here, she was like, yeah, and how are we getting it there? Because nothing can happen to this. It's gorgeous. It's the work of his hands. Um, when we moved my mother down here to live with us, this was of greatest concern. Can't be, can't be hurt, Barry. It can't be damaged. Why? Because it's a table? Because he made it for her. Now, I, by contrast, make things with my hands too. Sort of. I made this for my wife. Isn't that beautiful? It's back when I was fooling around with some barn board and slate, and I ended up. The, my wife uh, likes old, rustic, dusty things. It's a beautiful thing. The longer I live with her, the more she loves me. This is great, isn't it? So anyway, um, I was fooling around and I, and I made this. And, and we, we lived in, a, in, a, in an old colonial. Um, and, uh, and, and this just kind of fit the setting. And, uh, and, and the words on here are from a song that she likes. And so I, I, I made this. It, it's not nearly as beautiful as that, is it? <laughs> to my wife, it is. Anyway, right? Yeah. Um, I also have a little bag. She gave me this last year for Christmas. Nothing special about the bag, except what's in it. All kinds of little pieces of paper. And they have notes on them. Verses, words of encouragement. Reminding me that she still believes in me pretty cool. You can read them if you want, but you probably don't want to. They don't mean anything to you, but they do to me. Uh, this I made too. Uh, this has significance because um, these come from Italy. It cost us almost nothing, but on our way out of the country, back here for the last time, one of the last things we did is we went to a place where we knew we could find these, and uh, we, we bought these um, so that they would we could put them on our house. We had bought a house here, knew we were going to be settling, and that's our address. And, and, uh, and then, you don't know how hard <laughs> it was for me to get this frame to actually work, but I did. Built the frame, and this, this hung on our house. And, you know, there was something significant about it because it was a bit of a tie to the world that we had lived in. You know, that meant so much to us, and spent so much time there, and then, and then to the world that we were coming to, and the first home that we would ever own, and and uh, so when we moved up here, this didn't stay with the house. I hmm. also have a, a letter. I just received this from my brother. Um, you can read this one too. This will choke you up. He wrote it at Thanksgiving. And kind of very not long, but it's such a meaningful way spoke to the different members of his family and how thankful he was for them so should we play um, you know get the the prices right or something and try and figure out how much these things are worth Hmm. you see the reason a father keeps a simple frame with a picture of his girls glued in the middle is because it's an expensive work of art right He keeps it because it's created just for him with their own hands. And when he looks at it, he thinks of them and how much they love him. It sounds so obvious, but maybe we've drifted so far from this liberating truth. God answers the world's problems in a very relational way, doesn't he? He didn't do that with material things, even though he's blessed us with so many good things. He gave us himself. And this simple truth is why giving is still a good way to celebrate the birth of Christ. It, it points us the way out of our chaos of consumerism. Giving is good, it's okay. It just, and in fact, can actually uh, show the power and beauty of God coming into the world again as, as we show how much another person really means that we would do that for. It just needs to be the right kind of giving. So, so let's explore a little bit about what this means and how God gave Himself to us. You see, God gave more through something called the Incarnation. That's how He did it. He gave more by becoming one of us. It's really not even a word that shows up in Scripture, Incarnation. It just simply describes this reality that's so obvious in the New Testament of what the Christ became for us. It's the miracle of Christmas. It's the miracle of the infinite becoming finite. A baby, fully human, yet fully God. The moment that Jesus entered into our story. Let's return to these passages that I was referring to. Philippians chapter 2. There's still more here to see than than I've just referred to. So I want to show you something else. In Philippians chapter 2, the context of this uh, description of Jesus becoming uh, like one of us is one that says you ought to be like him. Verse 5 starts the description, and he starts by saying, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. You should do this. And then he describes how that happens. And if he can do it, you can do it. But he even starts earlier in in the first four verses. It says, you know, if there's any uh, encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, this if is an obvious if. You know, as if God hasn't loved and comforted you, Oh, yeah, He has, right? And as if the Spirit isn't offering you fellowship, as if there isn't any tenderness and compassion that God has shown towards you, of course there is. So you should do this. And if that weren't enough, look at what Christ did for you. Became just like you. To do what you were supposed to do. Die for your sins and yet did it for you. You see, if He could do this You can do this. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the context there is He became like you so that you could become like Him. Because the previous verses say He came to His own, but His own didn't receive Him. But those who did receive Him, He gave the right to become just like Him, children of God. And look at what He did. I call from, from splendor to squalor. Verse 1, Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. Nothing was made that was, that was made was not made without Him. And then verse 14, He made His dwelling. I've got a picture of a tent up there because that's literally what it means. He pitched His tent. That would have been a concept with them. Uh, They'd come out of a nomadic lifestyle. They knew what it was to wander around in the desert as a people. Now they finally had their promised land. They were getting out of the tents and into houses. But Jesus, when He came, yeah, He was just a traveler. See, those who still have to live in tents have to wander around and take care of the animals. He pitched His tent. He became not only like one of us, but one of the lowly of us the immeasurable majestic creator of heaven becomes the humble carpenter from a tiny town. Jesus as the incarnation is our fullest and best understanding of God because because of this uh, incarnation, the infinite God becomes tangible, more approachable, more comprehensible than any other way possible. Now, I know that you know that, but I want you to push that concept One step further. Apart from the incarnation, you would not know, number one, how much God loves you. Number two, how much He can be trusted. Think about that. How much He can be trusted. You see, if He goes to that length to show to what extent He has your best interest in mind, that He would come into your lowly life and become just like you, submit Himself to those circumstances, Depend upon His Father to carry Him through and successfully accomplish what His Father wants Him to do, how much can you trust Him for your circumstances and for everything that God wants to carry you through for His purposes? Not only does He love you, He can be fully trusted. And He's shown it so relationally In fact, I'd like to give a name to this kind of giving that God does through the Incarnation. Relational giving. And let's get practical about what that would mean for us as His disciples. What would it mean for us to give more relationally? Three suggestions. First of all, presence. He is Emmanuel, God with us. That's Isaiah chapter 7. 14 and quoted then by Matthew when he speaks uh, when he recounts uh, the story of of Joseph coming to find out that Mary was to be uh, be the carrier of Jesus into this world he, this is to fulfill all that was prophesied that he would be called Emmanuel God with us that's present something incredibly tangible about God's gift in Christ an invisible god becomes visible and interacts with people why am i emphasizing this so much because about 50 or 60 years ago something entered our lives that is fracturing that a telephone yeah tv not bad either but we'll stick with the phone Do you remember when the phone would ring? Oh, okay, let's go back to the dusty ones, like, you know, the old dusty ones. Um, Do you remember, you'd be in the house, you could be doing anything, if the phone rang, you answered it. Who wrote that rule? Think about that. There was like one phone in the house, or maybe two, you know, there was one in the master bedroom and one in the kitchen. Remember, and you had a long cord, maybe, maybe, That was the new thing. If you had a long cord, you could actually walk around the kitchen. Instead, you you know, they were first like this, and you stood in one place. Whatever happened, that person had the right to interrupt whatever was happening in your life in that world. Because you didn't have answering machines. Believe it or not, some of you, I know, it's wild. You know, there were no answering machines. There was no opportunity to call back later. There was no caller ID. There was... And look at what it started. A world in which we are fractured and interrupted by all kinds of things all the time, aren't we? Now, some of these things are fantastic tools. My smartphone allows me to do things that I could never have done otherwise. I, I have to go on a trip this week that's uh, that was unforeseen and yet it's a good thing and I'm going to be able to go and do it and help somebody out and... And I know that I can do that for any number of reasons, but a whole bunch of them have to do with the fact that on that phone, I'm going to be able to keep up with this and this and this and this. It'll be all right. So it's not all bad. But it has fractured us into an impersonal way of living, isn't it? We tweet, we text, we talk. How much time are we with each other? You see, this is Emmanuel, God with us. Why didn't he just tweet us? Why didn't he just text us? Oh yeah, he did, by the way. But it wasn't until he came that we really saw the difference. Didn't we? How can you do that practically? I read about this idea. Some kid bought his dad a, some coffee. I suggest that it be one of these. Uh, and he gave it to his dad, but he said, But the one stipulation is we have to drink the coffee together. Cool idea. So you can have this coffee, but every time we brew it, we're going to brew it, we're going to sit down, we're going to talk together. What a cool idea. This isn't the first time my wife's done this kind of thing, but she's given me some some gifts that were, you know, little coupons, and they were like, okay, and, and this is what we're doing. We're going here, and we're going and doing that. It's a gift of time together. You see, that's relational giving. We should give presence, CE. Because God did. Emmanuel, God with us. Secondly, it should be personal and lasting. Not only did Christ give his presence and become, but he also became personally involved in time and for all time and eternity. Over and over, the Gospels demonstrate uh, the relational nature of Jesus. He simply liked being with people. He paid attention. He listened. He noticed. He did everything that people in a hurry forget to do. And even when he was going to leave, you remember how concerned he was? I'm going to go, John chapter 14, but don't worry. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I'm coming back to get you. I know, you're going to be worried. Don't be worried. Because... Because I care. And I'm not leaving you. And then, because I am going to go, John chapter 16, I'm going to send the comforter. In fact, it's a good thing that I do go because if I don't, he won't be able to come. And I'm limited to this geography here. When he comes, he can go everywhere and be with everyone at all times. It's permanent. By the way, I have a theological test for you this morning. How long did the incarnation last? Careful. How long did it last? How long did God, in all of His grandeur, take on flesh and become a man? How long did that last? 33 years? Till His ascension? Forever! Do you get that? Do you get the fact that God became like you? He didn't just do it for a little while and and then go, you know, because anybody can put up with anything for a little while, you know, and then get to go back. He goes back and He regains all of His glory, all of that He set aside in His divinity, He takes back on. He is God Almighty, but He is still in the glorified body of Jesus Christ. The Son is the visible form of God. You'll never see a form of God visibly that isn't the second person, the Son. And prior to Jesus' incarnation, it was all kinds of different manifestations. But from the time of His incarnation for all of eternity, it'll always be someone who looks like you. That is amazing. That gives us a value beyond description, does it not? That's incredible. Can we reflect this in any kind of, you know, measly way? That the way we give is lasting? All of us have given and received those cheap chintzy gifts that are kind of a, you know, I, I, I know I'm supposed to give you something I've forgotten, so here it is. You know, you've gotten those, right? Yeah, thanks for nothing kind of thing, you know? And then there are gifts that aren't like that. Relational giving means we pay attention to the other person. We think about what they're interested in. And this is where I encourage you, and this is on your blue sheet, I'll get to that in a second, but RethinkingChristmas.com. And I imagine there are other ones out there. That's just happened to be one that I used this week. I, in fact, I even got an idea from my wife out of it because I'm like, I need to come up with, you know, and, and I got an idea off that. Lots of little ideas. Some of them are real crafty. I'm not crafty. So, you know, for guys that aren't crafty, it's not just that. Keep looking. It, it'll it'll give you some ideas of something that might last um pick a cause or a passion you know our our son we asked him what he wants for Christmas, you know, and um he's like i don't want anything I'm living the dream he certainly is. I pay his credit card bill he's living in New York city he's just you know it doesn't get any better than that, okay you know so and he's right, he doesn't deserve it no uh no, no, he he just loves what he's doing, and he's going to school there and everything, and we're you know doing everything we can to help him out. He's like, I don't, I don't need anything. So give give this is what he said. Give something to somebody in my name. So we're like, cool. So his mother went and found he's uh, learning graphic art and, and advertising, and so she went and found something she could give to that has to do with um, website design. Uh, in Spain that is being used to reach people for Christ. When she told him, he was like, cool, love that. Because that's just a little bit of money that's going to maybe last, maybe make an impact on somebody that lasts. You know, as I said, I made this silly little thing, you know. Do you know what one time is? It's a great thing for people who don't know how to do woodwork. Uh, I'll tell you about it later in case you don't know. But this thing looks somewhat decent because of one time. But that's a little diversion there. It it, it, it just is what it is. And, and I'm not real good at it. But guess what? It didn't stay with the house. It lasts. It was something. Just a little something that... Hmm, what can we do that we would give that's personal and lasting? Finally... It's sacrificial. There's an aspect of the incarnation that God is becoming a servant. He came to serve, not to be served, and to give His life as a ransom for many. The gift of God sacrificed everything. What what does that mean for us as we would give relationally? It means sacrifice. It's going to mean time and energy. It'll be risky. What if they don't like it? If we can resist the trap of giving easy gifts and and reject the assumption that giving expensive gifts and many gifts is the best way to express our love, something else might begin to happen. We might experience moments of relational giving that our friends and family will care about and truly remember. I read about uh, a father who, his daughter was in her senior year of high school, and he was already, you know, looking at that college departure and what all that was gonna mean and his baby was gonna leave and and so for Christmas, here's risk. He gave her he bought two journals. One for her and one for him. Blank journals. He said, How about we journal through the next nine months? All the preparations, all the adjustments, all the excitement, then all of the fear and anxiety, anticipation, all of the separation. You know, Maybe his daughter threw a bag at him and what, what are you kidding? I don't know. But imagine that Taking the time, saying that you do that for those nine, ten, twelve months, and journal through what's happening in their lives. Pretty cool idea. What if my brother had decided to to build this table for my mother and then said, ah, what if it doesn't turn out right? You know, what if it doesn't fit? What if I you know I mean, as it is, he, he messed up the drawer. See, so there's a different colored piece of wood there. Oh, it's supposed to be that way. Oh, okay. All right. You know, it's risky. What, what if it doesn't turn out quite right? But he did. He risked it. And look at what he got back. What about what he wrote? You know? what if, uh, What if we risked actually taking some time and writing something down? I do that. I buy cards that are blank. Never heard that one. Who gets to write the blank inside cards? <laughs> that must be a great job, you know, to to you know greeting cards that have nothing inside of them. Who gets to do that? That's really, you know, I buy those because I want to be able to write something inside. Do you ever do that? My handwriting's terrible, so usually I type them out and I shrink it down and I put it in there so they can actually read it. That would last, wouldn't it? But it would take some sacrifice. It would take some time. It would take some thinking. It would take you choosing some words to truly express what you mean. So, let me remind you of something that I have said many times, but is easily lost. Could be easily lost. In this year of It's Greater to Serve, we're giving you more opportunities than you can possibly respond to. All of them. We must respond to some of them. But we're giving you more than you can do and that's intended because you need to decide what you should do. You shouldn't be doing it because Pastor Barry says you're supposed to do this or that. As I keep saying out of Second Corinthians chapter 9, each one should give what he has decided in his heart to give. The point is do what God wants you to do and do it the way he did it, relationally. When we give relationally during the Advent season, we're remembering how He loved and gave for us. So it's an opportunity to worship in that sense. So, as we do that, how can you? Got some suggestions. In your bulletin is this sheet. And it just gives you some ideas. You can't do all of them, but you might want to do some of them. But let me remind you once again in the money that you're saving, give. Two people and four people. And that's why we've given you these opportunities to buy coffee. And, and, and in that, you are uh, helping a Thai farmer earn a living wage and incent him to tear out the opium field that he has and plant coffee trees. And our goal is 135 bags. We still have a number to go. We've gotten, I don't know, partway there, almost halfway there. We 135 bags changes the life of a farmer. It's just an idea. It may not be for you. But it might be, I'm going to start stop drinking my mafia-driven coffee and I'm going to start drinking this. Why? Because in the money that I save for one thing, I can help someone else in a decent way. Also these hats that are here. They're helping these people that are stuck in refugee camps in Uganda and in poverty in Peru actually make a living. The hats actually got the person's name signed on. For $22, you're helping that woman get out of that situation and earn a decent wage. Drill a well. Every 15 seconds a child dies from a disease that is related to unclean drinking water. $5,000. Dig a well. And this box is going to be available. And we're encouraging you with the money that you're saving. As a family, come. Put it in that box. And let's see what God does. But then, as I've said today, go beyond that. Give relationally. Go to this RethinkingChristmas.com. There's other sites that are like that. Think about it. Come up with things that are different, that are going to express your presence. Something that lasts. And show a little sacrifice. And there are other suggestions on here for alternative giving that you can do. We need to take our cue from the story of Jesus. The Incarnation suggests, in very practical terms, what it means to give ourselves to one another. Through our hands, through our words, through our time, through our hearts. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, we pray as we began. Help us respond to the work of your hands by getting our own hands busy. Help us respond to the truth of your word by expressing our own to those we love and to you as well in worship. Help us as... As we would give the time of our presence by being fully invested in giving ourselves to each other in this precious commodity that we have called time. And help us to love with full hearts, truly finding ways to express our appreciation through giving of ourselves, giving more. Freely we have received. Now help us to freely give. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless you.